Hey friends, it's Andy Jenkins. I'm back. I am in the, well, I guess this is my office at the hilltop overlooking, you know, kind of all the hills and uh, the nice view where the deer come by every city. It kind of sounds like a song where the deer and antelope play. Yeah, that's straight from old school when I was in elementary and we're learning all of these patriotic songs. Uh, Home, home on the range where the deer and antelope play or seldom is heard, a discouraging word, and the clouds are not something. Skies are not cloudy all day. I think that's how it goes. Anyway, all right, so I'm, I'm here looking outside. Got this great view with this massive window. Love it up here. And, you know, for the next few weeks, I want to really talk to you about just straight here from my office where I've been putting this project together really the first phase of the new life with the material which is all on identity so let me catch you up to speed i'll just get right into it uh, several years ago uh, maybe two three years ago my dad sent me the information that he had taught in a church where he pastored 20 to 25 years ago uh, the name of the material was life lift in fact everybody that attended hilldale baptist church during that era uh, when Dad was leading the church, when Donnie was the youth minister, when Charlie was the minister of music, that's what they called those titles back then, Michael Etheridge, he was the, it would be the church administrator. Uh, again, those are kind of the titles when those men, it, it was just this really sweet season where one of the ideas that that team rolled out was this material that my dad wrote that really was defining uh, people's role in the church and in the world uh, as being uniquely created, crafted intentionally by God for a purpose. And that purpose really aligned with, first of all, this area of instructional obedience, like doing the things that God had said to do in scripture. So, so many people want to find the will of God for their life but they bypass the things that he's already said that are very clear. And, and I don't mean that in the legalistic sense. I mean, there is all of this information waiting there for you. And it's not just information, facts and figures. It is actually an invitation to experience something at a level that I really believe you can't possibly, I can't possibly imagine. So that's the area of instructional obedience. Start with the things that you already know to be clear that God has already said. I'll I'll start defining what those are maybe in another several weeks or so. I've got, I've got some content that I want to teach before I get there. The second area that they were talking about was not just instructional obedience, but your natural talents. How you were created from birth. Now, if you read the scripture, it really talks about how uh, David was crafted in his mother's womb. Jeremiah was set apart from birth. Paul set apart from birth. Isaiah talks about being created, but like the God that formed the heavens and the earth. Back when he did that, he intentionally crafted some design for you. And, and that really has to do, like we're not the same. We don't just come out of, uh, I understand the nature versus nurture argument. You know, are you born with it or are you raised a certain way? It's probably both, but the reality is you take two people growing up in the exact same environment, they're going to be different. They have different skills, different abilities, different personalities. You look at um, myself, my brother, my sister, 
same parents, same economic situation, same educational opportunities, same everything, but completely different personalities. So it's, again, the instructional level, instructional obedience, kind of what's what's the stuff that God's already said to do? Do that, start there. The second level is your natural talents, abilities, these unique insights, these burdens, these ideas, the kind of the heartbeat and passion God puts upon you, all of that cluster together. And then the third area is this area, this realm of supernatural giftedness that literally when you awaken to faith, we, we call it old school growing up in a Southern Baptist church, getting saved. Some people call it conversion. Some people call it salvation. Whatever word label you put there, at that point, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit literally steps into your life, filling you. Not not just in your life like, oh, he's near me and kind of directing me. I mean internally occupying you and not just does something to you, but wants to express himself through you. The idea there is literally God is looking for a people that he couldn't just do a great work to, but he could also do an incredible, amazing work of reaching and loving his people on this planet. He could do something through his people, not just to them, but through them. So the church really starts developing this idea. And my dad sketched it all out. He, he was kind of the architect behind that material. And of course, had the blessing of those leaders and what they rolled out was uh, Life Lift was the name of it. And so that's a long history uh, that we could recount another time. And in fact, I think I have on other episodes of the podcast, but here's where it is now. My, my dad was going to retire maybe four or five years ago. I remember going up to his retirement up in Athens. He was at First Baptist Church of Athens. I remember going there And after that, he had business cards and everything printed. He was going to start teaching Life Lift in different churches full time. He was going to take his curriculum and develop it. He was going to, I'm sure, probably shoot some video and develop the workbooks and do some writing and some traveling, speaking, all of that, really to equip people in the church for the work of ministry inside the church and outside of the four walls of the church. However, he continued getting these phone calls for from people wanting him to come help restructure their church and help lead them through a transitional time. They would be between pastors. And we used to kind of call that being an interim pastor. You're, you're kind of between one full-time guy and the next one that's coming. And he really began defining a role there with, oh, I think he did it maybe with three different churches where he, he really took some intentionality in that role and helped them chart out what what was their vision and their values. What was the mission that uniquely God had charged them, that local congregation, to? And then you know, identifying their key leaders so that when the next leader, the next pastor that was going to be full-time came in, they really had everybody aligned together. It was an incredible several-year run that I really he could be still doing that, but they just felt called to be part of a, of a church. And so in Huntsville, right now he's leading a senior adult ministry with, I think, 700, 750 plus senior adults uh, there at at their church, Mount Zion, up in the Huntsville area. But because of that, he never had the time, the chance, the opportunity 
to finish the life lift material, to take it to the next level, to repackage it, republish it for this generation, some 20 to 25 years later, which I guess that's what it would be. I remember teaching the material in about 96, 97, those years back at Hilldale, where I would fill in sometimes for him on a Wednesday evening when he would be teaching that. That's almost from then 25 years. So about three years ago, we're talking and he he said, hey, why don't you take it? Why don't you do it? You write, you talk, you know about podcasting, you know about shooting video courses, you know about kind of repackaging the information and doing the slides. You know, back then when we would teach it, we would use overhead transparencies. I remember traveling with him summer of 1998. I was doing an internship with uh, the seminary where I got my Master's of Divinity out at Baylor University, George W. Truett Theological Seminary, traveling with him across the state, teaching the life lift material at different churches, and using, yes, overhead transparencies. My kids wouldn't even know what that machine is. Some of you that are listening, you might not know. Some of you know exactly what that is. You're like, oh, I, remember, I remember I remember using those. People use them in churches to put, you know, words from a kind of, it's not even a projector. It just kind of throws it up there, you know, on the wall or on a big white screen. Or, that's what we taught with. And so really pulling it all together and teaching it for now, packaging it for now. So, you know, about three years ago, I had had a little bit of free time. I was going through really tough season in, in life that just flipped me upside down. I can tell you about that another time, another place. But I had this time to study, to dive deep. I think during that time, grew closer to the Lord in prayer, in scripture. Uh, you know, tough seasons a lot of times do that for you. They provide you this opportunity when everything else is stripped away, where you really start focusing on things that don't matter at all, like Netflix, or, you know, and some of those type things, or you zone in on the things that matter the most. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying that you can't have these diversions. I, I sure enough watch enough Netflix and do uh, love movies, but. My heart there is, again, during a tough season, you can, the focus, the bulk can either be distraction or it can be deeper, can be something that's temporary, that is a diversion, or it can be something that really moves you forward into who you are designed to be. And during that season, I remember uh, my mom sent me a copy of all the material. I told her I was going to take another run through it, look at it. And I was familiar with it because I taught it. I, I spent a whole summer traveling and teaching the material with him. I taught it in our church at Hilldale several times and took another pass. And I, I remember telling my dad, I said, I think that if we do it, we don't need to just jump to the topic of supernatural gifts. Not not that his material did that. I mean, the, the unique bent of life lift was that it wasn't just a spiritual gift test. You know, sometimes tests like that, strength finders, uh, just raw personality test, uh, spiritual gift test, they can give you information and maybe point you in the right direction, but 
the true verification of all of that comes when you get people with whom you're walking in relationship and they start weighing in and going, yeah, I, I see this, I affirm that, or, you know, I know I don't. And, and so that was one of the unique uh, strengths of life lived originally, as well as those other two facets I told you about. Like it, it really foundationally says, let's start at the level of instructional obedience. That's That's what he called it. When he's writing the book. And in fact, we kept that term because I think it's a good one. And you know exactly what it is. God's already instructed us to do certain things. Let's obey those first, not from a heart of legalism, but from a heart of freedom. And, oh, yeah, my dad told me to do something. Just my natural dad. I would probably assume that he was looking out what's best for me, right? And so approaching the heart of our Heavenly Father in the same way, moving through gifts and talents, you know, and then the supernatural gifts. We don't want to just in the new book, though, go to just that. It had been you know, 25 years. And so I, I told him, I said, I, I think we need to start at a foundational level, more, not not basic than that, um, just different. And, and that is the area of your identity, of who you and I actually are. Are. I think if you don't understand who you are, then what happens is you start doing all of the external things that you do. You start doing them in order to fill some need inside of you uh, to give you value, to give you worth, something that emotionally and soul sustains you rather than already being aware that you're whole there and you don't have to do these external things in order to gain an identity. You have the identity and now you don't chase these other things to create an identity. You pursue these other things as an overflow, as a healthy expression of what you already have, of the things that are already true of you. And so I told him, I said, I I think I want to write the book and start there. And since we're talking about the topic of supernatural gifts, and it's the Holy Spirit that gives you the gifts, I think I really want to dive deep and take some time talking in depth and breath, width, space about the Holy Spirit, who who the Holy Spirit is, uh, what the Holy Spirit does, why the Holy Spirit. And, And so if we understand who we are, and then if we understand who we are in Christ. Oh yeah, hey, Jesus isn't physically here, but Jesus said when he left and went and ascended to heaven uh, on his throne, he would pour out the Holy Spirit on us that would then live through us and the Holy Spirit would teach us, remind us, and and, and highlight the things that he has uh, done on our behalf so that we can now do those. And also the Holy Spirit would supernaturally empower us. That leads us to part three of understanding the spiritual gifts. And so when I started writing this project back, goodness, really started writing in earnest 2019 on it. After after reading and rereading, I remember 2019 kind of being the all-in phase on that material. I remember telling him, you know, we took a book that was 125, 130 pages long, and we transformed it into about, oh, I'm looking at the paperback here. It is, I think, about 550 pages. It's a lot, a lot of material. 
And, and I knew, like, nobody is going to want to pick up a 600-page, by the time you add the assessments and the, the tests and the questionnaires and all of these things that help you really define and understand who you are and your personality and the th- things that give you confirmation. So nobody's really going to want to do 600 pages, but I, but I wanted to get it all out there. And then we can kind of decide, what, what do we use for this? And what do we use for a different project? And and the result was we decided to keep it all. But instead of making it just a 600-page book, which which honestly, you, you can get the 600-page book. It's, it's ready. That's the spoiler alert. We decided what we were going to do is subdivide into four different books, plus a workbook. So that's kind of another spoilers. Right now, I'm working on the slides to create the workbook. Uh, well, the workbook's done. Finished that last week. But working on the slides to film it and begin hosting groups on it. Uh, but but four books. So identity, that's what I'm going to talk about today and for the next few uh, talks here. Presence, that's book two. That's all about the Holy Spirit. Expression, that's the Holy Spirit manifesting in some unique way through you. And then perspective, leaning back into your identity. Like this is kind of a flywheel that never stops. You know, you learn who you are. You learn who the Holy Spirit is. You empower or you allow the Holy Spirit to empower you and then move through you. And then you keep maintaining the right perspective and leaning back into your identity and really leaning back into the relationship with the Holy Spirit and letting the Holy Spirit empower you even more. It continues. And so here's here's what I want to do today is I, I want to talk to you briefly about the first few pages of the book, which centers in on, man, 17 minute, 18 minute introduction to get to the topic of identity. Okay, so here's here's where we start, like in in the book, and I'm going to cover the first topic today, and in the next talk, I'll just pick up with with the next bit of information. So here it is: to understand your identity and to understand who you really are. I think the foundational concept is this is, first of all, you've got to realize that Jesus actually shows you and me what God is like. Okay, so to understand who you are, for me to understand who I am, we've got to realize that, first of all, this man, Jesus, who was God, man, human, yet God, reveals what the unseen God is actually like. Now, here's idea number one. I'm going to give you, I think, four today. The last one will be really quick. Idea number one is this. Nobody had ever seen God until Jesus came. So the idea that God, the creator of the universe, would just show up in human history was a radical idea. Now, for sure, some of the heroes of the faith, they'd encountered God in different ways throughout their stories. You you might remember Moses saw God in Exodus chapter 3 in the burning bush. Uh, the prophet Elijah, after slaughtering 400 prophets of Baal, he runs for his life. God says, "Hey, what? Why are you? Why are you running? Why are you hiding? You, you've, and it, you know." And he flips out because one woman, Jezebel, wants to chase him. God appears to him there on on Mount Sinai. There's thunder. There's an earthquake. There's 
this violent shaking wind? Which are the manifestations that appeared when Moses was on Mount Sinai with God? The scripture says in 1 Kings 19, verse 9 through 18, that God was not in any of those manifestations that time. But God appeared to him, and he knew it was God through this quiet whisper. So we see burning bushes, earthquakes, fire, whispers, pages before that in Genesis 28, uh, Jacob. So the refrain we hear throughout the Old Testament is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three fathers right there of the faith, Abraham, Isaac. Jacob in Genesis 28 saw angels ascending and descending on this ladder and thought it was a dream. He wrestled an angel it was all the presence of God, but he didn't actually see in the flesh God. Uh, Daniel and others, like Daniel 10, Daniel saw uh, an angelic messenger. All throughout the Old Testament, we see angels appearing to people. David, the, the man who is known to be the unique man after God's own heart, that's the phrase, man after God's own heart, he never actually saw God. So the idea that God would show up on the planet, in human history, in the flesh, was an incredible notion. And so what happens is in Jesus, Scripture says the Word became flesh. And so God was no longer unseen. He he was not uh, any longer in disguise. Uh, He wasn't appearing through some other mediating means, he's here as a human. He's he's here like us. And and Jesus was clear. He said, look, I and the Father are one. There's this great episode in the upper room where Jesus is there with the disciples. And he says this phrase. If you grew up in a Southern Baptist church like I did, you probably know this verse. Uh, John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, we usually stop right there and start talking about, well, salvation's in Jesus alone. Okay, That's usually where we stop it. But if you continue reading the passage, Jesus says, hey, if you'd known me, you would know the Father. And from now on, you do know him. You have seen him. Now, the disciples in the upper room that night, they didn't catch on. Philip actually even said, hey, Lord, just show us the Father. That that would be enough. This Again, John 14. And Jesus says, he goes, hey, wait, have I not been with you so long, and yet you've not known me? Great phrase here. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The idea right there was that there was this oneness, this total, absolute connection. No, no distinction at all. That's why Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the, great, great phrase here, the perfect imprint the exact replication. In other words, he reveals what God's like. He's essentially 
a cut-and-paste version of the unseen God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the same thing. It says that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the hearts of the unbelieving. And then he goes on and talks about how Satan does that to keep them from seeing Jesus, who is the image and likeness of God. Like, somehow he wants Satan, people, to see to sense, to search for something different other than what God has already displayed as himself in human form. So what it means is this. Sometimes I think we have the idea that there's this God in the Old Testament that is mean, harsh, overbearing, centered on law. And then we have this Jesus in the New Testament that is all about grace, but those two are actually the same, and we need to reread the entire Testament, not just the old and not just the new, through that lens of this unified thread, this singular unified whole story. Now, here's what's interesting. When you read back through those verses, um, Jesus says that he's not just taking us to a place. This is point number two. Okay, Point number one is nobody had seen God until Jesus came. Point number two is this. Jesus isn't just taking us to a place. He's taking us to a person. Now, now if I probably said, hey, okay, just if you could talk back, you know, to through the headphones or to the car windshield, or if you're running, you know, right now, or walking, whatever you're doing, shout back and answer, where does Jesus take us? Like, what was his whole intent? What does he want to take us to? Most people would say he wants to take us to heaven. Now, you'd be right, he does take us to heaven, but when Jesus was talking himself, I want you to notice this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the, to the Father. He came to take us to, to reveal a person. Now in John 14, 2 through 3, uh, it's this passage that we read quite often at funerals. It, it, an incredibly valid reminder. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have, I would have told you. But now I'm telling you, like I am going there to prepare a place. So there it is. Place is important. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he continues, and if I go prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you may also be where I am. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, I'm taking you to this place where I'm going to be with the Father. Even when he was on the cross, remember there were two thieves. One mocked him, the other thief repented on the cross and said, hey, Lord, remember me when you are in your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him. Luke 23, 43, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. So paradise, it's a place. Today you will be with me, person. What's he doing? He's pulling us, not just showing us who God is, but also pulling us in close, pulling us and taking us to the Father. I I heard, again, when I was reading through the life of material not too long ago, 
uh, earlier in this last week, um, gosh, it, it was reminded of a story that happened at a church not too long ago. I was there attending, and one, you know, these hipsters pastors say a lot of incredible things, uh, have some amazing insight. They they also occasionally say some very stupid things, and one of the dumbest things that I hear is God hates religion or Jesus hates religion. You know, you know, and I'm, it sounds clever. It sounds cute. It sounds right, but it's wrong. Jesus's little brother, James wrote a book about pure and undefiled religion. The book of James, he talks about taking care of orphans and widows and their distress and, uh, you know, being not just a hearer of the word, but a doer, like living out your faith in this expressive way about not showing favoritism to people. All of these incredible attributes of what faith does is what pure religion is. Religion comes from the Latin word religio. It means to reconnect, like a ligament, like a tendon. It is this connection, and Jesus is connecting us, reconnecting us to each other, reconnecting us to himself, reconnecting us to the Father. And that reconnection is not just, hey, I'm coming to show you what God is like, because so many people misinterpret it. I'm coming to take you with me. I'm going back to where he is, and I'm coming to bring you with me. That's point number two. Point number three is this. Whenever we see Jesus on earth, walking around, doing the things that he did, saying the things that he said, we actually see an accurate picture of what the Father is doing. And it's as if God is doing it himself. So so maybe you could say it like this. Jesus revealed the Father through his words and through his deeds. He revealed the Father through uh, his message and his ministry. In John 5, 19, he actually said, whatever the Father does, that that's what the Son does likewise. Now, the context of that is the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are mad because he has healed another person on the Sabbath. And they're why, why do you do this? Why didn't you observe our interpretation of what that law about the Sabbath means? And, and you might have listened to a previous episode. I, I titled it Easy, where... The Pharisees just took 10 words of law and just layered it with rule after rule after interpretation after multiple interpretations. Why do you violate our interpretation in order to serve this person on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, whatever the Father does, that's what I'm doing. In other words, I touched that person because in his mind, right then, he believed that that's adequately, accurately, what what the Father would be doing. That's why he did everything that he did. So what it means is when you see the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, when you see the story of a woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and then thrown at his feet, and the scribes, Pharisees, the religious leaders hover around and say, hey, the law says we should stone her. And that's actually what it did say. It said... She should be stoned. That's why we see Jesus defending this woman and interposing himself between her and not condemning her because that's what Jesus saw the Father doing. That was the heartbeat of God the Father. 
other stories, we see Jesus touching lepers rather than not touching the lepers and just healing them with the word, which we know he can do long-distance miracles, yet he goes out of his way to physically touch these people that society would have not touched. You think about it in our culture. You know, that's kind of what we do. We don't touch AIDS patients. We don't touch people who have some, what might be in our mind, a communicable disease, even though I understand we see AIDS differently. COVID, would Jesus stay away, keep the six-foot rule masked up, or would he touch? We see him touching lepers, not trying to equate any of those with leprosy. I'm just saying we see him physically going near and touching people because that was the heart of the Father, not distancing, but bringing them that word religion, religio, again, connection, close. There, there are these stories, like in Mark chapter 2, uh, verse 15, where it says, why, why does this teacher, this rabbi, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And it's because that's what the Father was doing. In other words, Jesus is saying, I, I came to show you what God is like. Nobody saw God, point number one, until Jesus came. We had seen angels. We had seen manifestations. We had seen power, wind, red sea blowing. We had seen fire and smoke and lightning and all of these other things and small whispers and prayers answered and famines vanquished, miracles, but nobody had actually seen him. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I came to show you what he's like. By the way, I'm not just taking you to a place. I'm going to take you to him. And while we're on the way there, I'm going to do some things. And I'm going to do the things that he, God the Father, would do if he were actually here. I'm here to show you what he is like. And, and he did that through the things that he said and through the experiences that he shared. He also did that through the things that he did not do that so often we think or attribute even now to God. So in the Gospels, we never see Jesus cause illness. We never see him cause sickness or disease. So many times now people say, I've had family members that have thought this, and, and most of it's just said from the struggle of just trying to figure it out. It doesn't mean somebody's dumb or lesser. It's just, honestly, we just try to fill in the blanks when we don't have an answer. We try to import one, and we say, well, God gave me this disease, or God chose me for this disease. But when you look in the scripture, we don't see God cause illness or disease. We see Jesus heal. We don't see Jesus condemn anyone, even though we tend to, especially in cancel culture, tend to condemn people who disagree with our standard of what we perceive that is right and wrong. And it tends to be stuff that we can achieve, right? We don't ever create rules of like, we're never in the wrong. We just always have other people in the wrong. He never condemned. He never demonstrated anything on the devil's side of the equation. In fact, 1 John says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. And he did all of this through his message, through his ministry, through his words, through his deeds, 
He came to show us what God is like. One pastor that I read not too long ago said this. I believe it was Bill Johnson. Jesus is perfect theology. Okay, when you see Jesus, you see an accurate expression of the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. Theo, meaning God, ology, meaning the study of. So biology, ology of bio is the study of life. Ology of geo, geology, ology, the study of geo, the the world, the planet. Um, Theology, ology, the study of theos, God. Jesus is perfect theology. When you see Jesus, you see a perfect study, a perfect just breakdown. That would be the great syllabus or study lesson for a course, right? And not just a course, but life. Jesus, perfect theology. And here, here's maybe the, the final idea that I want to give you. This one, this one will be super quick is all of this was intentional. Jesus was intentionally sent to us to provide us with this description, this accurate representation of who God is, what God says, of the things that God the Father does. 1 John 4, 14, the older disciple says, we've seen, we testify that the Father sent his Son intentionally to be the savior of the world. So first part in understanding your identity and you go, why, why is that the first part? Because here's what you're going to see in the next couple talks is Jesus doesn't just reveal who God is. Jesus actually reveals who you are too. He shows me not just who God is. He shows me who I am. He shows us really both sides of the equation. And then Jesus doesn't just show us both sides of that equation. He actually also shows us what is our mission to the world, to the people around us, starting with our family, with our neighborhood, with the people we interact with at work, with our household, with our city, with our church, with our people that we see that are kind of acquaintances, just kind of spreading out in concentric circles going outward. He shows us not just what to do and what to say. He shows us the tone of it. And kind of what it should feel like when people interact with us. So many more layers to that. But the starting point is this. To understand who you are, you really got to understand that Jesus shows you what your Heavenly Father is exactly, precisely like. I'm going to put some links down in the show notes where you can follow on, you can learn more about this project really kind of as it's unfolding, planning to shoot the videos in a couple weeks, share more on the online app. All of that information is for you. I'm going to close out. My prayer for you is that the Lord would bless you. He would keep you. He would be gracious to you. He would shine his face of favor upon you as he shines it. May you see the father and may you see Jesus and intersect and combine both of these images in your mind, knowing that the one is the exact mirror image of the other. That when you see the kind things that Jesus did in the New Testament, you realize that is God the Father. When you hear the gracious words, you realize that is also the Creator. When you sense the tone and the compassion 
and then tenderness, that is the Father reaching out to and for always for you. Grace and peace. I'll see you soon.